Welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. All this week, we'll be featuring messages from our fellowship's recent South African Bible Conference, led by Pastor Jonathan Heimberg. We pray these messages will bless your life, and we'll return to our normal schedule next week. God bless and enjoy. Hallelujah. That was, uh, that was an interesting video. Amen. Uh, amen. I thought, I thought uh, Pastor Vikash's church was full of Indians, but uh, there you go. Amen. I kept waiting. And, uh, but anyway, uh, that's exciting. Amen. Uh, and so I'll be praying for you. Uh, I used to have hair before we built a building, and so uh, I'll be believing God. He'll help you there. Amen. Praise God. What an incredible atmosphere to be able just to take this in and everything that God is doing. I'll put this a little bit higher. It is amazing. The first time I preached here, uh, I don't know who's, I don't know if anybody's here the first time. There might have, I'm sure there's a few of you that are here. It was about 24 years ago, and uh, we might have had 40 or 50 people, and to see what God has done. It was absolutely amazing. It was actually in this building. It wasn't a building back then. It was a tent. But uh, what, a, what a miracle of God's grace and favor. The workers uh, I'm looking at, uh, pastor said, uh, many years. It, it, you know, that makes me feel old. Uh, it's been a few years. But uh, they come here. And uh, what struck me is some of the missionaries that I see here, I knew when they were kids. And so it's an exciting thing. God loves South Africa. Amen. Hallelujah. God loves South Africa. Uh, and uh, God is, is going to help us. I think I couldn't help it. I, don't, I was praying this morning there in the hotel. And uh, God just stirred me about Robert Moffat, David Livingston, and uh, the, the, the gospel that landed here and began to move north and had such an impact on the world. And you are a part of that. You and I are, we, amen, we come from somewhere, and the seeds others have sown, you're going to get to reap. We thank God for that. Matthew 4, I'm going to tell you a little story to kind of maybe why I'm preaching this. Many years ago, uh, way back in our church, back in the 90s, I had an evangelist. He's a pastor. He's one of those uh, 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 evangelists that's trapped in a pastor's body, and, uh, but he, he came and and uh, had a powerful ministry, and uh, he said, brother, we're going to have Holy Ghost. It's going to be a Holy Ghost outpouring. The first day he preached what we need uh, is the Holy Ghost, uh, and, uh, and then he had everybody come forward, and he prayed, and the second night he preached what we need is the power of God, uh, and everybody came, and at lunch the next day, I just asked him, I said, do you happen to have anything on, uh, sermons on, like sin or hell, or anything like that, you know, and uh, I'm, and, and, and so that Wednesday night, man, he preached a barn burner on hell. Preached on Achan. Um, he had to, I remember there was a part of the sermon at the end where he described Achan and his family being pulled out. The people began to gather the stones. Uh, and uh, the little kids being, Daddy, Daddy, why are they going to stone us? Uh, I mean, he, he, and you know what? That night uh, when the church repented, guess what we got? We got the Holy Ghost and fire. And I learned something that night that it's not enough to talk about. Uh, listen, there, we're here uh, to be stirred, but we're here to get convicted. Yes. 
We're here to let the Spirit of God deal with our hearts. If it can't happen in Bible conference, where is it going to happen? I believe that I'm still in the ministry 40 years later because of Bible conferences and preachers who preach to preachers. Okay, so that preface is what I'm going to preach on tonight. And I felt God put this in my heart to tell you that little story. I was reading this book a while back, very, very interesting book. It's a kind of a recent history of the 1950s in America. So television was invented around 1938, late 30s. But it wasn't until the 1950s that television began to become uh, uh, mainstream. And pretty soon millions and millions of homes in America had a television. And for the first time, advertisers realized that they could reach audiences in a way that had never happened before in human history. That they could sell products with people talking and be able to show them the product. And and so they were very excited. They knew it would change the world. And indeed, it did change the world. But in their early efforts to make commercials, uh, to sell products, they were failing. And they couldn't figure out why. They, they, they couldn't understand that somehow they, they couldn't reach people the way they thought they could with television commercials. Uh, and uh, we're good. And uh, uh, what happened is, you know, they, they spent lots of money trying to understand. They did surveys, they got behaviorists involved, psychiatrists, trying to unlock uh, the, the understanding of the American consumer. And they came up with a brilliant understanding and it inspired this sermon when I read this. I want to read it to you. It says, this is, they, they came to them and they said this, the job for the advertiser, okay, let me see Okay, it says the job for the advertiser was therefore not so much to sell a product as to give moral permission to have fun without guilt. This was a major psychological crisis in American life. The conflict between American puritanism and appetites whetted by the new consumerism every time a company sold some item that offered a new level of gratification It had to assuage the buyer's guilt and offer absolution. So what they found out is that back in the 1950s in America, there was something in people that said, you don't show money. You don't show off. You don't buy a fur coat. You buy a proper coat, overcoat. You don't buy a Cadillac. You buy uh, another car. uh, And uh, there was something in the American psyche back then that said, you don't. In other words, there was no bling back in the 1950s. And if somebody were to go out and spend a lot of money on a product, people consider that uh, to be ostentatious or prideful. And so nobody wanted to buy these things. And so they realized, you know what? We have to change our advertising and actually tell them it's okay to buy this product. And so if you go back and you look at commercials from the 50s, they would say things like, you have worked all your life to do this. Your family has sacrificed with you and they deserve. And they said they understood something and that is that people want permission to violate their conscience. That there's something in the way that we're made and we're created that a lot of people have a hard time doing the things they want to do. But if somehow you could permit them 
Somehow you can write them a little permission slip and, and hand it to them. Then they feel better and they're off to the races. We're a far cry from that today. But I want to tell you tonight, and I know I'm preaching to a room full of preachers and disciples. The devil wants to give you permission to sin. I want to preach a sermon called the permission slip. Matthew 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father, I ask you to help us tonight. God, I ask you to get a hold of hearts. Father, I pray confront us with light and revelation this week uh, that we are changed. Uh, and God, as we lay ourselves on the altar, the fire will fall. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Let's talk first of all about permission to sin. So here we have uh, this famous account uh, that happens to the Lord Jesus after he's baptized. We know that he was 30 years old when he was baptized. We know that for 12 years there is no uh, biblical record of what Jesus was doing and what activities were going on in his life. Um, we're left to, uh, to assume that. Uh, and he appears at the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. Uh, it is a very, very powerful moment. Um, as John says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Um, the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, John sees a dove uh, descending a type uh, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and Jesus Christ would leave that baptism uh, and he would change the world uh, for all eternity. For all of that to happen, though we have this powerful picture uh, of Jesus in our text, uh, as Jesus is taken into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by the devil. Uh, and uh, this is the reality tonight. That you and I understand this. There are many seasoned Christians here uh, that we have incredible moments of revelation. Uh, and that moment, that mountaintop is often followed by a valley um, of assault. Um, there's always going to be a snake in the grass. Um, and here we have our first temptation tonight. Um, and I want you to consider this temptation because it is so subtle uh, and it is so common. Realize that the three temptations that we are taught about, told about are not one-offs, uh, but they are powerful insights into the psyche of the devil uh, and how he thinks that he can reach us. Tonight we're going to look at the first one. Uh, the Bible says that when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry and the tempter came and said, if you are the son of God, uh, command these stones become bread. Let's think about this tonight because the devil comes to Jesus uh, and he identifies the personal sacrifice that he is making. He acknowledges the struggle that is involved here. Let's remember that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man uh, and fasting 40 days was no easier for him than it would be for any of us. And the devil is identifying that uh, and he begins to craft a temptation. 
And it's so important to understand in this that the devil came to him uh, that sometimes we have this idea that the devil came, uh, you know, with horns and a tail and face. I don't believe that's the case. Now, I'm going to ask him. I asked him to put up a couple of pictures. Put up the first picture tonight. And so in that first picture, this is kind of how people think it happens. That the devil showed up uh, revealing himself in all of his wickedness. And he tried to get Jesus uh, to, to have that. Listen, how many here have ever been tempted? Let me see your hand. Amen. How many know that most of those temptations he didn't show up looking like that? <laughs> Put up the second picture. It was more like this right here. He comes with a hand on the shoulder. Appears like a friend whispers in your ear hey man you've been doing this you've been paying a long heavy price you've been sacrificing why don't you just eat man i mean 40 days is long enough you have done good for a long time and he comes and he begins to speak to him in a way that says look you have sacrificed for a long time why don't you just go ahead and turn these stones into bread or what is happening in this picture is Satan is saying, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to give you permission to sin. You can take that down. We know that Satan is the hunter of the souls of men. I hope by now you have figured out there's an intelligence to every temptation that comes against your life. I, mean, I used to say years ago, the devil doesn't tempt your grandmother to smoke marijuana. I can't say that anymore. <laughs> I know too many high grandmas today. <laughs> you know, I have a hunting illustration here. In America, they hunt deer. You all hunt lions. Uh, but the idea that, you know, that a, a good hunter is somebody who studies his prey. Uh, he understands what he's looking for. He knows when to do it. Uh, you've all heard the story that they'll go, uh, a lot of times during mating season, they'll go out to get the animal up, uh, and they've got little uh, whistles that they blow that sound like the female, uh, you know, and it, which means, hey, big boy, and, uh, <laughs> or, and they spray the perfume on them, you know, and they, they do all these things. Why? Because there's intelligence and they know weakness uh, and they understand uh, that uh, that is an area that can be an area of weakness. We have a, uh, one of our pastors, Dan Kanaj, he pastored in uh, Belize for years as a missionary for us. He's in Corpus Christi, Texas, right on the water, and he is an avid fisherman. That brother knows fish. And how to catch him, uh, he has this, you know, you know I, I like to call, I hate, by the way, I hate fishing, I would never go fishing, but I'm fascinated uh, by Dan's knowledge, and so there's a, hey Dan, it's 50 degrees, and pastor, this kind of fish is here, and you can locate him in this depth of water, uh, and, and, and he knows everything about it, because there's intelligence, you want to catch something, you want to think it through, you're going to know exactly what you're going to do. One of the factors in temptation, let me remind you, is Luke 14, the devil ended every temptation. This is the parallel to Matthew 4, Luke 4. The Bible says he left Jesus until a more favorable time or for a more favorable season. And what the scripture is saying there about temptation is there are seasons of temptation. 
There are certain times, and if you've been serving God for a long time, if you're a pastor and you've been pastoring your city for a while, you begin to figure out the rhythms of that city. And there are certain seasons uh, where temptations begin to come after your people. That this is the dynamic um, of serving God. I'll throw out a couple of obvious ones. One of the seasons is the season of relaxation. It's that time when you're ready to take a break. When you're saying, man, I've worked hard enough. And this year when the kings go forth to battle, I think I'm going to stay home. And we know that it was in the season of relaxation that David met up with Bathsheba. Another period of time that we know is holidays. You got to tell you, I'm telling you, I, I, every year Pastor Anderson has been on staff with me. Uh, he knows that every December I'm going to preach uh, something on sin because the holidays and Christmas time comes around. That happens. You're going to be offered more liquor during the, during the month of December than any other time of the year. Things are going to happen. And so that we know that. Uh, but tonight I want to preach on another season. And I am preaching tonight um, at that time in your life where you are doing right, uh, but there seems to be no reward. When you are fasting 40 days and nothing seems to be happening. When you are sacrificing and paying a price uh, and laboring, um, and in the middle of all of that, uh, Satan comes and he puts his arm around us and says, you know what, Uh, look at everything you're doing and you're not getting anything back. Look at all your sacrifice. Look at all your labor. This is a challenge when you're a pastor, especially when you're a missionary and you have paid uh, this ultimate sacrifice. You have taken your family thousands of miles away. uh, And uh, and somehow in our mind, we think that if we're not careful, God owes us something now. And we're sacrificing and we're laboring and we're doing all of these things. Uh, and uh, here it is, 40 days. And, and he comes along and it's like, uh, you know what? Hey, you know what? Go ahead and eat, man. Look at the price you're paying. Look at the sacrifice that you're making. How many have figured out sometimes you and I are called to do the right thing when other people are not? It's when you've been violated and you've been burned. And you are laboring and doing the right thing when you've been disappointed. Mark my words, he comes to you and says, hey, man, why don't you just lower your guard? Come on now. You've been here. You've been at this a long time. You know, I've had people over the years say to me, Pastor B, why should I resist temptation when they didn't? I had a wife tell me one time because her husband was messing around. Why should he have all the fun? And I said, dear, if you call that fun, it won't be long before you're gone, too. And that's exactly what happened. That there's this thing in us that says, why am I the only one? Why am I the one that's praying and doing the right thing and serving God? You might be here today and you're in a small church, you know, and and the weeks have turned into months and the things aren't really. And you start to, why am I the only one? It's the spouse, you know, in a tough marriage, you know, and it's like, why do I have to be the only one? Why do I have to carry the ball all the time? Why am I the one uh, uh, carrying the load here? Oh, come on, help me out. Say amen, you know, are you with me? Or say, Pastor, South Africa, Pastor, we don't, we, we, we never have thoughts like this down here. 
When Yolanda and I first went to Las Vegas, New Mexico, we had a breakthrough with a bunch of teenagers, and it was a glorious time. And I remember there was one young man that was in our church. His name is Joe. Hallelujah. Thank God now, 40 years later, he's still there. But uh, Joe, I, he probably wouldn't like me telling the story. But uh, Joe uh, got saved. He was serving God. Um, and uh, Yolanda and I lived in a little house about 1.30 in the morning. This is like he's been in church six months, 1.30 in the morning, boom, pounding on my door. I open the front door and there's Joe and he is stone drunk. And he just kind of, he was, he, they call him also, which means bear, because he was a big boy. And he comes right back, he comes stumbling down uh, the hallway, goes to our guest bedroom and plops himself uh, on top of the, and I'm like, Joe, what are you doing? And, you know, I can't believe, and he's like, Pastor, I, I, stayed, I, I, I served God for six months, it's just once, you know. <laughs> You, you will not understand this. Maybe five of you will. I, I felt like Andy Griffin and Otis had come in and let himself into the jail. He just passed out right there. And I want to tell you, beloved, there are a lot of people that's exactly what they're thinking. I've been at this for a long time and I'm not seeing any results. This marriage isn't working. This situation, this ministry isn't working. This commitment isn't working. My men, and you know what? Uh, I, I, you know what? Maybe Joe had a good idea. Somebody said, when going through a trial, the cheapest comfort is a bad attitude. We just permission. The devil just sit there and just write permission. Go ahead. Go to conference in a funk. There you go, man. We host conferences. I like to say that every conference that we host, a lot of our, all our pastors come back and out. There's some of the pastors, they, they won't, they, I won't even see them. They got sent out by us. And they're dodging me the whole week. Numbers 11.4 says the riffraff. I like that. You know, it says the mixed multitude. I like the riffraff among the people at a craving. And soon they had the people of Israel saying, why can't we have meat? Here were people, man. Manna from heaven was coming down. Manna from heaven was coming down. Uh, and then the riffraff, which the mixed multitude, what's suggesting there is that there were some tagalongs with the Hebrews that came out of Egypt. And these are the, you know, they're, they're the, they, got, they got funky quick. That's why we don't build our churches out religious people, you know, because you have people that they come and they're the first ones that start shooting off their mouth. And, and, and the next thing you know, these people, they, what did they do? They gave them permission. And next thing you know, the whole nation is whining. How many here have ever witnessed to a backslider? And nine out of, just one out of 10, maybe one out of 100 will say, well, I'm backslidden because of my own stupidity and I'm an, I'm an idiot and I need to get my, one out of 100. The rest of them are going to tell you some terrible thing that happened. Uh, the pastor uh, ran off with the piano player. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the people were rude. Everybody's a gossip. Uh, and, and, and what they're really saying is uh, all these things that happened to me have given me permission. To sin. Let's talk about tearing up the note. I want to tell you tonight, you can refuse to join. 
This is what Jesus, this is why it's so important because Jesus saw immediately what the devil was trying to do. This didn't, this, I guess, it, it came as suggestion in his mind. 40 days is long enough. Hey, I, I, that's good. I'm not obligated. It's not legalism. I can eat. I can eat whenever I want to. Yeah, just go ahead and eat. But somehow Jesus recognized this uh, and he understood this is not about bread. This story is not about whether Jesus can work physical miracles. This story is simple, and that is that you are going to face seasons of injustice. You are going to be violated. There are going to be seasons when it seems like nothing's happening to us. So we all know the Lord Jesus would face unimaginable temptations. And the question is, in times like that, are you going to give in? Jesus knew it, and the devil knew it. It's very important to understand, church, that the devil at this point didn't understand God's plan. He knew Jesus was there. He knew he was there for a reason, but he didn't know what. So early on, this becomes the issue. Can I play the card that somehow because of the, the bad things that have happened in your life, it is now okay to do the things that you know you shouldn't do? And Jesus knew it. And Satan knew it. And over and over again, you will find that Satan comes to Jesus and says, go ahead and eat. Go ahead and do it. You're the son of God. You can do whatever you want. Let's remind ourselves of what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before it shears is sighted, so he opened not his mouth. The Bible says that in the face of what Jesus would experience, there's this temptation, turn the stone into bread. I'm not going to do it. In the face of violation, I'm not going to do it. I know too many former preachers and their excuse was, but let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you about this thing. It was unfair. And here we have the Lord Jesus. Peter picks this up. First Peter two, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Have you had the experience of being in a situation where you maybe even experienced injustice, unfairness, and you said, God knows, and I'm just going to leave it to him? Because the real issue there is Satan is going to put his arm around you and say, that's wrong, bro. They did you wrong. Go ahead and eat. I want to tell you, the world teaches us to respond this way. Our problem in America, and I think it's true here in South Africa, is everybody wants to play the victim. People in America will come to you and they will look at you. And if they debase it on the color of your skin, they'll base it on your sexual orientation or your gender dysphoria. 
or whatever it is, and they will come to you and say, you have been victimized for generations, for centuries. You have been mistreated. It is horrible, uh, and, uh, and, uh, we're gonna, and, and, and you are a victim. And what are they trying to do? Do you think they care about you? Do you think they're doing that because they want to dignify you? They're doing that because they're writing and giving you permission to riot, to loot, to hate. The whole reason that they do this is to appeal to our lower nature and say, we're giving you permission to do the things you know you shouldn't do. But you do it anyway because somebody that, that's that the world wants us to be ripped off this way. I want to tell you that this is the spirit of the world. And if you're not careful, every one of us, preachers included, you and I can take on the spirit of the world around us. So put up that third picture. So you, you probably have used this. I'm sure uh, every pastor, every youth leader has used this. It's called the Ash Experiment. That was the name of the professor that did this study, and uh, I'm just going to tell you in case you aren't familiar with it. So what they did is he, uh, he got a, a, a I think, I think the, the control group was like 400 people, but he put them in groups of 10. And they would bring them in, and they would ask them some questions, and one of the questions was he would put this picture up, and then he would say, uh, I'm going to point to the different letters Raised your hand when I point to the letter that's the, the tallest line. But what they, what they did is when the 10 people, before they came in, they pulled nine people aside and said, when we point to the letter C and say, what well, is that the tallest line? Put your hand up. They had one person that didn't know, and that was called the dupe. <laughs> and so they would bring them in and then they would say, uh, is the letter A the tallest line? And nobody would lift their hand. Then they would, is the letter C. And nine out of the ten people would put their hand up. And the dupe. <laughs> take off his glasses, rub them. Seventy-five <laughs> percent of the time, the dupe lifted their hand. <laughs> That's why they call him a dupe, man. He did it because he allowed the crowd to give him permission to do what he knew was wrong. We said, oh, that's good for teenagers. That's good for 50-year-olds. We live in a world that's telling us, act, it out, act, on, act on that impulse. You can take that down. Yeah, act on that impulse. Yeah, you just give in to that. There's nothing wrong with that. You deserve that. I have men in my church. I, this is not live streamed, right? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they get frustrated. And they go out and buy a new F-150 big truck. Just, just why? Because, yeah, just go for it. Matthew 26, 74. Peter began to curse and swear. I don't even know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. That's Peter. This is Peter the night before. All these guys, Jesus, I don't know about that. I've had my, you know, but I will never, I'm going to die for you. And then he's put into a different arena. And as he's there in that 
atmosphere, that, uh, that bloodlust. And they began to accuse him and accuse him. And, and, and under that pressure, all of a sudden, here's Peter. The Bible says that he even begins to swear. Because of the pressures that was there. King Ahasuerus, the Bible tells us. Having a party one night, it's the after party. He had a, he had a six-month party, followed up with a three-month after party. <laughs> and, and he was there getting drunk, and he starts bragging about his wife, Vashti, and how beautiful he is. He tells that to a bunch of drunk lechers. And so he says, send for Vashti. I want her to come and parade herself in front of all my drunk, perverted friends. And thank God for Vashti. Thank God for women that got a little dignity and said, talk to the hand. And these men, they see that. And they're like, you can let your old lady do you like that? <laughs> who, wears the, who wears the pants in this house? And next thing you know, this man has been given permission by his drunk friends to banish her. Want a bad one? I'll give you a, want a bad permission slip? It's when Sarah got out the paper. I give you permission to have a child through my servant, Hagar. I'm going to tell you tonight, he's in our ears. And he's telling, just go off. You've held it in for so long. Job 2, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Permission. That is why, my brother, you'd never go home and tell your wife, Pastor rebuked me. <laughs> you know, thank God for the wife that says, it's about time. I want to tell you, for every one of those, there are a few others that say, you know what, it's not right. He doesn't see what you do. Well, and, and, and be careful what you loosen, Mrs. Job, man. <laughs> but he said, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Don't say amen, brother. Just stay quiet. <laughs> shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. If you do not recognize that voice for what it is, it'll get you. Let's talk about a new note tonight. Because there was something else besides a permission slip there. There was the word of God. Jesus answered. The spirit that wants to get, permit us to sin with what God's word says, which is unyielding. He answered and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want to make a statement tonight. Don't misunderstand me. Don't clip this and put it on TikTok. You ought to stay off TikTok. That's what you ought to do. <laughs> put that on TikTok. You know. <laughs> The Bible does not care about your emotions. 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. With right is right. I don't care how hungry I am. Right is right. That's what he's saying. He's saying that you and I better live by the word of God. I don't care what case the devil makes. I don't care how he makes, he justifies it and he, and he explains it and makes it so reasonable for you to just go ahead. I want to tell you, it doesn't change the word of God. You know, have you ever been in a hurry? And you jump into your car and you're late for work or you're, you're, you're good. you got to get to the store before it closes and a red light comes. I don't know if that's, this illustration is going to work down here. Somebody's like, what, what is that? I don't understand. You know, the first time I came here in 1999, Yolanda and I stayed at some uh, little uh, place up here. And the, the, the man that owned the, the hostel or whatever it was called, he was about, uh, I remember, he was, must have been 300 pounds, which I don't know how much that is in K kilograms, but big boy. His name was Tiny. And, uh, <laughs> and he warned us, he said, at night in Johannesburg, do not stop at the red light. Anyway, here we are, and I'm using a red light illustration. In America, when you're taking off and you're in a hurry and you get to a red light and you're like, but, but you're like, okay, on a normal day, I'm good with the red light, but I'm in a hurry right now. Don't you understand what's going on in my life? Red light says, I don't care what's going on in your life. You think those other people that go, they got issues too, bro, but I'm not changing to green for three more minutes. The word of God just says no. It doesn't say, well, you know, marriage is, no. Well, you know, your pastor, no. Jesus says, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is how I'm going to function here. I have decided that I am not going to be ruled by appetite. I am not going to be ruled by the moment. I'm not going to be ruled by having done good for so long. I deserve a break. I'm going to live by this. And God's word is unyielding. Because we can easily yield to sin. Because it doesn't take much for him to put his arm around us and whisper in our ear. And say, hey, come on. By saying no in the wilderness, Jesus can say no in the garden. Because this is really what this is all about. He wanted to establish something in Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. Jesus knew that he could establish something in the wilderness that would cause him to fulfill his ministry. And because he said no to the bread, he would be in a garden praying. In the hour of sin, Jesus called it. This is the hour of darkness. And he said, Father, there's any way this cup could pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said no again to the bread. He said no again to an escape. Because it matters tonight. You think, well, I'm just going to do it just one time. Oh, no, my friend, you have set yourself up for a pattern that will carry you for the rest of your ministry. 
Jesus gets up. Here come the, the, you can see the torches come. Remember, Judas is leading them because the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed, was his hideout. That's why they, they had to get somebody uh, to lead them there because they couldn't do it in front of the, the population because they knew that there would be a riot. And so here comes Judas leading them to this place. Um, and the Bible says uh, that uh, they, 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 they uh, come, they arrest the Lord Jesus. And, and Peter, at that moment, you know, uh, he pulls out his sword and he's ready to do battle. Uh, he begins flailing. Um, we know he cuts off the servant's ear. We know Jesus picks the bear slaps it back on the guy's head and 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 but then he turns to Peter and he says these words church and you have to capture them um, he says do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide for me more than 12 legions of angels in other words Jesus says that is all that appetite's there that appetite's there during this whole episode he is quite aware that 12 legions of angels and if a Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers, 72,000 angels. One angel could 185,000 Syrians in one night. Times that by 72,000. And it's there and he knows it's there. The bread is right there. You know, all I, listen, it would be nothing for me. I know that at any moment this whole thing could change. You know what I believe, and this is purely speculation on my part. The Bible says that the angels look down at redemption and wonder. I wonder, you know, and this might just be me. If those 72,000 angels were looking down at this scenario, the, the crucifixion. You ever thought about that? They were up there and they were looking and they wanted to come down. They were ready to do battle. The very idea that all it would take for Jesus' command, that they were right there. They'd be, they'd be like trained soldiers that are, have lined up. The, they're set in array. They're ready to invade. They're just waiting, uh, and they, they cannot process. They're not up there saying, oh, our Lord is going to die on the cross for me. No, no, they don't get that. They don't even understand that. All they know is they're taking uh, the Son of God uh, and they're going to manhandle him and they're right there, they're ready to go. And Jesus says, I know that. I could give in at this moment. Talk about injustice. I can do it right now. I could change this whole thing. But I won't. And when he said no in the, in the wilderness to the bread, when he said no to giving in now to the appetite, he could say, no, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to complete it. And thank God that he did. Can you say amen? amen? The gospel story is not God's vengeance. It's God's mercy. Because Jesus Christ said no. And I want to tell you something tonight. None of us know what's got life, what's in front of us. None of us here know where our lives and our ministry is going to take us. But beloved, if we get into the habit of giving in, at some point down the road, something that could have happened will not happen. Let's bow our heads. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews 
every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.